Tits up is both an expression used when things have gone terribly wrong and a phrase coined as a rallying cry to stand up straight, own the stage, and knock them dead. There are few things in this world that can make your life go tits up more quickly than a breast cancer diagnosis, especially for adolescent and young adult women. This podcast is meant to give us AYAs, a feeling of community, understanding, and power, helping us to walk into each day with a feeling of tits up. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Tits Up. I'm Megan. And I'm Sam. And today we are thrilled to be joined by a remarkable individual who is not only in the middle, still in the shit, of battling cancer, um, but also navigating the challenges of parenthood, all while going through chemo. Um, We would like to introduce Jess. Jess, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, Why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Uh, So my name is Jess. Uh, I'm 32 and I have an almost 15 month old daughter. Um, I'm not working currently, which is a huge privilege to be able to take off work while undergoing treatment. Um, But I am a board certified behavior analyst and I work primarily with children diagnosed with autism. Um, I was diagnosed with stage 3A triple negative breast cancer and a BRCA1 mutation uh, in April of this year. Um, So I was 31 and my daughter was eight months old and I was still breastfeeding. Oh, my. Uh, I finished finished chemo a little over a week ago. Uh, I'm scheduled. Yay! Yes. Yay. That is a celebration. Yay! Awesome for you, Jess. Yeah. And then my double mastectomy is in three weeks, and then after that, I'll have radiation. Yes. I mean, radiation sucks. <laughs> but I'm so excited that you're done with chemo. Are they going to do, like, a like a test, a follow-up test to see if it's all gone, if it shrank, all of that? So they have already done, they did an MRI, they did an ultrasound, and they did a mammogram. Um, and they did the MRI first and I like really freaked out about it because everything was much much smaller I had so I had a big tumor a little tumor and then they there were like at least three lymph nodes involved the little tumor on the MRI didn't show up but everything else did and so I was like oh my god no this is terrible like I'm gonna I'm not gonna have a pathologically complete response I'm gonna have to go on uh limparza which is like a harp inhibitor that they apparently works really well for women women with the BRCA1 mutation um and so I was like really freaking out I was like oh my god I really thought that this was gonna be it um and then the next week they did a mammogram which is like really useless for women like me because I have extremely dense breast tissue um and then they did an and then they did the ultrasound and like she found the the radiologist like found the biopsy clip from the little tumor immediately she's like oh it's smaller it's like it's much much smaller it's like in millimeters instead of centimeters and then she's like all the lymph nodes look normal um and then when she like she couldn't find the big one and i'm like of course because i'm a woman i'm like oh i'm so sorry you can't find this whatever she's like this is great what are you talking about um so it all all looks good um but obviously we're not going to know anything until surgery um so i'm having what's called like a sentinel node biopsy where they'll like take that node out while i'm in the or we'll look at it under a microscope if there are any cancer cells there they'll take all the nodes if not they'll just take the ones that they've already taken um and then afterwards they'll send everything to a biopsy you know to the lab and then i'll have like results in a week or whatever yeah Oh, that's such a whirlwind. And yeah, like the when you, I was laughing, I'm trying not to laugh like super hard while you're talking. <laughs> but, you know, like that that we as women thing, like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry that you can't find my cancer. You know, like, I'm I'm so sorry to have put you out and make you do something like this. Like, it's it's so typical. Um, I remember doing things like that all the time. I'm sure, Sam, you did. It's it's kind of just a female thing that we need to uh find a way to get out of <laughs> and stop doing but i haven't i haven't figured out how to pull myself out of that one yet um okay so you mentioned your your daughter i mean 
we're going to probably be tackling a lot in this episode, but like the primary focus is we were really wanting somebody to come on and talk about having a young child during this and what sort of assistance do you need? What sort of added pressures does that add to everything? Um, you know, cause I don't have kids. Sam does not yet have kids. Um, so we really, really are so excited to talk to you about this and I love how just open and honest you are about everything. So let's let's kind of just open the door to that. Um, how how old was your daughter? Did you say six months, eight months? Eight months. And I was still breastfeeding, which like frankly was such a it like my my best friend, she visited me, I think it was like all early in my chemo uh journey, and she was like, Do you think you would have found this if you hadn't been breastfeeding? And I'm like, honestly, probably not. Um, you know, everybody says that you're supposed to do like all these monthly breast exams, you know, as it turns out, nobody really knows how to do them or like whatever. But I had like a shower routine that included like heavy focus on my boobs because I had such an oversupply of milk that I was so worried about getting like clogged ducts or mastitis. So like I had a whole like routine and I, you know, I felt something I was like, Hey, am I hallucinating? Like, you know, ask my husband and he's like, no, no, I feel that. But like, probably it's a clogged duct, huh? I'm like, well, it doesn't really hurt. So that's kind of strange. Um, so that, you know, it doesn't answer your question, but like was a benefit that like that was already something that I was like paying attention to. Um, there's definitely benefit to having a really young child while undergoing treatment um, and also not benefits. So the the number one benefit is that like, she has no idea what's going on and is too young to remember this. Um, that being said, I, of course, like, I'm like, oh, my God, how is this going to impact her development, uh, you know, compared to other kids or, you know, what whatnot. Um, but obviously the, the not benefit is that, like, she still relies on me for or, you know, another adult for all of her needs to get met. Um, so that's obviously been like majorly challenging so you mentioned her development and that's your area um like that's that's what you do for work you mentioned like the development of kids is there a correlation between something like what you are going through and your child being as young as she is um or is it just one of those things that like moms tend to always do which is just like ah i'm fucking them up in some way <laughs> um is there is there like medical scientific basis for that i, I truly don't so, know well i you know i don't i know a little bit and to be totally honest with you i haven't done more research on it because i don't want the answers to skew the way that i'm viewing our interactions i think i'm the most nervous for the double mastectomy because they're like you can't lift anything heavier than a milk jug you know for at least six weeks and it's like she was heavier than a milk jug from birth so that was right. never never it's, it's never gonna be a thing and you know she's very curious and you know like she just wants to put everything in her mouth she's like not really the most hygienic human being yeah so like we're thinking like maybe she can sit on my lap but like definitely not until the drains are out um, oh, like, and just see them being like yanked or open or chewed on or, you know, all of yeah, that. So I, that's the part I'm really worried about. I couldn't let my dogs near me or jump on me because of that exact reason. It was really hard and obviously much harder with your own child. I'm I'm definitely positive about that. But it was really hard because they didn't understand. And even when they caught on something, you know, they didn't realize and then i would be like oh and they were like oh no what happened mom <laughs> was that my fault <laughs> right and it's not like i can sit down and have a conversation with her like hey look like i'm gonna have surgery when i have surgery i'm not gonna be able to pick you up or hold you for like a really long time like she just i mean i could do it i just i don't know that it would do anything um you know because you know i've read a bunch of books it's like her brain is like a, a caveman brain like she's not going to understand all of these like big words strung together and like really understand the impact so that's the that's sort I, I you know i've i've been around during chemo enough that i'm not worried that i would impact her development obviously like 
you know, there have been multiple times where I've had to go to the hospital and like just sort of disappear. And, you know, to the extent that we can, like, I'm always on FaceTime with her, like would always say goodnight to her when I was in the hospital. Um, you know, so, but this, you know, I, I know that like, they're obviously like, big attachment issues when like you are you know when the child's alone or separated from someone for extended periods of time i think i think we're past the attachment stage um so i'm i'm not really sure but like it definitely feels very daunting going into this uh knowing that like i'm not going to be able to be there for her when i have been sort of the primary person who has been yeah right Jess, how has your parenting kind of changed from your daughter was eight months old when you were diagnosed? So for those eight months, you were kind of, let's say, as normal as a parent as you could have been. So how has parenting changed for you since your diagnosis going forward? Because now, I'm sorry, how old is your daughter now? 14 months? She'll be 15 months next week. Okay. Okay. So how has it changed in that kind of six month period now parenting wise? Well, it's so interesting because it's very, it's very hard to answer that question because I really feel like for the first year of life, it's not so much like parenting, like making decisions about like, you know, like what's right and wrong, imparting rules and lessons and stuff like that. It's like, 90% keeping the kid alive. Yeah, um, like, which is not nothing. So like feeding and entertaining and, you know, teaching them how to sleep, those sorts of things. So, you know, and now she is a toddler and she has opinions and she is starting to get some words uh her first word and mo the word she uses most often is no so we're already screwed um, <laughs> I, I love that for her like i was saying earlier our, our upcoming generations we're just gonna break all the i'm sorry is just absolutely not just say no to people i love yeah that. yeah but you have a daughter for sure jess <laughs> no it's it, she's been like that since like she was in the womb like she was oh such a punk with the doctors like the, you know at 10 weeks they'll put like the little doppler on you can hear the heart we couldn't hear that so we had an ultrasound they're like oh i know why you couldn't hear it she's like all the way at the back of your uterus no i'm like always hid from the doppler during like the 20 week scan you know she cooperated for 10 minutes and was like nah i'm done like flipped over refused to flip back they had me like upside down walking around she's just like nah i'm i'm done um so she's like always been super stubborn and super opinionated um but you know now it's it, it's sort of like you know if things don't go her way it's the end of the world you know like arch backwards crying it's like oh you know i said no to more grapes but i didn't really mean it and you took the grapes away like the worst <laughs> so i i feel like it's hard to separate how my parenting has changed like because she's so different like she's a different right. person um you know obviously like i i think of all the things that we could like we could have done had i been like healthy enough to go places like you know we'd probably go to like more indoor activities like basically when it rains you know we're like oh god what do we do with her um because like it's like oh like if we go to a museum like the children's museum there's like a bunch of other germy kids and it's like is that really a good idea for me or like you know, we could go to the library, but like, depend. you know, it's always packed when, uh, you know, it's raining and stuff like that. Um, so I feel like we would have definitely, uh, and in general, like we would have gone on sort of like more adventures, um, you know, if I had been feeling better. Um, but, you know, there's still time, I guess. Well, I understand completely what you're saying with like, you know, your parenting has probably just had to change right along with her growing because those first months like the first formative months there's so much happening with them and you know they're a completely different person like you said um what have you needed slash figured out that you needed in the past you know since since you've been diagnosed really um that maybe other women that are freshly diagnosed 
can kind of start to look into if they have young kiddos. So like, you know, family, night nanny, like what? I mean, I, I know that like a lot of a lot of people are going to be like, how do I even do this with with a kiddo? So I would say like to anyone who's even thinking about having kids is that before I mean, not like I could not wait a second longer to have kids than I did. I was like, I'm ready and I need this right now. Um, and but I would say like to anyone who's thinking about it, like build your village because, you know, my husband and I are both from New York. We don't neither. Obviously, neither of us live in New York. We live together. Um, we don't live in New York, so we don't have like family around you know, the pandemic, we're both like super introverted and like the pandemic was like fine for us. We're like, great. Now we don't have to like talk to anybody besides each other and we don't have to go out for dinner and like all of these social obligations that we don't really like, we don't have to do. So like we were like in a village deficit. Um, so that did not serve us well for kids and also did not serve us well for cancer. Um, you know, I I was very open and transparent with people in the beginning about what was going on, specifically people involved in my daughter's life. So like she was in daycare and she still is, which she loves. And we're, I'm so lucky that like she has adjusted so well to daycare and like being around other kids. And I, you know, from the get go was like very open with with everybody at daycare about like what was going on so that like they didn't sort of make weird assumptions and like I just wanted to know like you know not necessarily like I hate to sort of play the cancer card like hey for a little bit late you have to like you know I, I have cancer so it's too bad but like more just like hey you guys are part of our village like you need to like know what's going on and like you know they did and and we've been so lucky with you know child care uh we also um my chemo journey went a little bit wonky. So once the first sort of kink occurred, we hired a nanny um, to help on the weekends and also during the week, um, you know, with like, because I was primarily like took on the entire mental load of running the household, was doing most of the chores. Um, you know, my husband's job is very demanding. Um, so I was like primarily doing the cooking, the laundry, you know, dishes, that sort of stuff and like you know that that stuff like very quickly faded away you know it's like I if I only have energy to do one thing like the last thing I want to do is clean my house um I'm I'm still right there with you I'm still I can't, I can't do it anymore <laughs> we also we also like I was like physically able to do this even when I was well that I was able to clean our apartment but we moved during cancer as well which I would not recommend they moved into a house and I'm like, we're hiring cleaners. I'm not, I can't do the whole house. That's me. Yep. Oh my God. It's still the biggest luxury. It really is. Like I, I, and it's so nice that it's like, let it still feels this light way. Like when, after they clean, I'm like, I'm living in a hotel. This is amazing. Like, you know, having I've had to do it all and like not nearly as well. Um, so it's, it's the biggest luxury that I'm still just like, so appreciative of but we did we did hire a nanny you know to help out and also like you know because my husband's job is so demanding and like also you know a diagnosis doesn't just affect the person that's diagnosed it affects like everybody that cares about them and you know he's had a hard time processing this and also like I would say like a hard adjustment to fatherhood because of the nature of his job as well um that like you know, he had, he went back to work very quickly after she was born and, you know, all that stuff. So it was just like such a big adjustment for him in so many ways. And we were like sort of just starting to like gain our stride into like parenting, uh, you know, when I was diagnosed and then all that went out the window. So she has a wonderful nanny, um, who's also like kind of been my nanny and like doing stuff for me that like is really helpful, like running to the grocery store or like doing some light cleaning um making dinner and like my daughter loves her and that has been like hugely instrumental because we don't have family nearby how did you find her the nanny oh I totally offloaded one to my mom she's my mom's like you need help I'm like I understand I just don't have the bandwidth for this she's like okay <laughs> so she she found her and like 
it was like one of those things that it was just like very serendipitous that like it worked out the way that it did and she's been wonderful and like we've had you know like she's not that it's like professional as like an employer does but like she's also been my friend through a lot of this um and like she has experience with family members going through cancer uh so she's you know she 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 sort of gets to the extent that you can you know what i'm going through and uh has been a really nice person to have on team jeff oh that's fantastic i mean (laughs) That that still is, you know, even if your family isn't nearby, they can do stuff like that. I mean, that is still like the the village that you were talking about, you know, like having a village deficit, which I understand. Like my family's all in Michigan and I live in Colorado. I've got some great friends out here, but that was that was a really big concern um, during all of this. So that's, uh, you know, maybe that's a takeaway for some people that are listening to this, like reach out to your family members and be like, look, I know that you can't personally be here, but here's what I need. If you have any thoughts, <laughs> let me know, or just go forward with things that you think will help out. Right. Yeah. Jess, um, what was your kind of craziest experience going through your chemo journey? You know, I don't know what chemo is supposed to look like, but it definitely didn't look like what, what I went through. What the commercials say, right? That's what I'm saying. What, what my, my oncologist made it sound like nobody has as much trouble with chemo as I do. I have to believe that this is not true. Um, I don't know if that's for like my own mental health or just whatever, but, uh, it pretty much went south from the start. Um, so the 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 regime that they use for triple negative breast cancer is like called the keynote something regime. So usually it's comprised of 12, 12 rounds every week of taxol and carbo. And then there's four rounds, which are every other week of adriamycin and cytoxin. Um, which is known as like the red devil chemo and is so brutal physically. Um, and then every three weeks throughout that whole time, you're getting uh, immunotherapy, which, and I'm not a doctor, but like from my understanding, like gears your immune system up to fight the cancer more so than it would normally. Um, so they start me on the taxol and the carbo and they were like, oh, like the first two times we do this, we are going to do a titration. So we're going to do it super slow, a little bit slow, and then normal. Um, because some people have a reaction to it. It's not uncommon. So I'm like, okay. So they do the like slow version and then they do the like medium version and they do normal. And like 15 minutes into the normal, I'm like, I feel funny. Like I felt like I needed to use the bathroom that I felt nauseous. I'm like, I don't know. This fe- like feels weird. I feel like I have an elephant on my chest. They're like, okay, like let's pause, you know, whatever, like gave me some like additional meds. Um, and then like they gave me more steroids and like Benadryl and you know, whatever. And they're like, okay. and then they like re-challenged me and I was fine. So the next time they're like, okay, we're just going to add like a bunch more pre-meds to your thing because you have a little bit of a reaction. Um, And usually when people have a reaction, they're reacting to the solution that the taxol is mixed with, not necessarily the taxol itself. So again, they do the slow version. It's fine. They do the medium version. It's fine. Three minutes into the normal rate. I have like a more typical reaction, which is like facial flushing, my back hurt. I had a lot of hip pain. They're like, okay, let's stop, you know, wait 30 minutes, see what happens. So we're waiting the 30 minutes and I start to get really cold. Um, And so, and then I start like really shivering. And so I call for my infusion nurse who like is, has been one of my rocks throughout this whole treatment. I am obsessed with her. Um, she's amazing. And I'm like, Hey, like I'm really cold. And she comes in and like the way my like center was set up, it's like, everybody has like a little cell with like a curtain 
And she like takes one look at me and like presses a button. And all of a sudden there's like 16 people in here and they're giving me all these drugs, Demerol, Benadryl, push this. Then all of a sudden they bring out the EpiPens. They give me two EpiPens and I'm like, I feel a lot better now. Like they're like, okay, well that's great. But like the ambulance is on, on its way. I'm like, oh, I don't think I need to go to the hospital. I think we're all good. They're like, not really a choice. Um, so I get like carted off to the hospital, um, in the ambulance, which like, let's not even, we won't even go into the amount of phone calls it took with the insurance company to get them to pay for that. But I did it. Um, and you know, I'm like sitting in the ER and like, basically they're like, you need to stay overnight. Your oncologist wants you to stay overnight in the ER. So I didn't even like get a room. There was a communal bathroom. There was no food. Like it was awful. Um, and so my oncologist calls me and she's like, so I actually think you're allergic to both the solution that Taxol is mixed with and Taxol itself. So you need to go through what's called desensitization. Um, and, um, but in the meantime, what we're going to do is we are going to like, we're just going to switch it around. So we're going to do, uh, AC first. And so I'm like, okay, so... I go through AC, which like physically was so awful. It was like, I just remember coming out one day and being to my, I said to my husband, I'm like, I would like to be in a medically induced coma until this is over. Cause I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like however many more times I had to do it. It was so bad. So I completed my last cycle of AC and I think it was like a week or two later, no, I think it was a week later, my daughter brings home like world's worst virus, which is called hand, foot and mouth disease, which is literally horrible. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody. It's like blisters everywhere, fever, it was crying. It was so awful. Um, and like, so I was taking care of her. It was like also like the 4th of July. So like, you know, like everybody was off. So she gets it. And then like, I think she got it on Monday. On Friday, I had like a mouth blister and a fever. And then my husband got it. And like, it was just a nightmare. And then like, I was supposed to start the desensitization for tax all that week. And they go in and they're like, you have literally three neutrophils. Like you need to go to the hospital. Um, so I was in the hospital for a couple of days. Um, and then, you know, then we start tax all which, you know, so the the desensitization part went fine. So basically they just give it to you like super, super slow. So my infusions were like 12 hours. Um, Good Lord. And then, yeah, uh, it was really exhausting. Um, and then like once they, you know, they sort of speed them up as you go. So like then they would be eight hours and then they would be, you know, whatever. And then they sort of like challenged me where they just gave it to me at the normal rate and I did fine so then they sort of discharged me back to regular infusions so everything's going super smoothly I'm like this is there's no way this is gonna go like this is gonna go exactly as planned so of course my daughter gets sick again I am like you know an idiot don't learn my lesson I'm like you know what it's fine it's just a cold Taxol doesn't take my calcs like AC does it's not a big deal you know and then I go in and I have you know, no neutrophils again. And they're like, okay, we need to give you like a shot of Neupogen, which is like going to increase the number of white blood cells, whatever. So they give me that. Then like, I get a fever that night. So they're like, you need to come in. So I come in and they're like, you need to go to the hospital because like of a million different reasons, you know, then the, your counts are super low, your blood pressure dropped, like no way. So now I'm in the hospital again. And I have two rounds left, um, which was just like so frustrating. I think I was in the hospital for like four nights. And, you know, then I was finally able to do the last two rounds. So I don't know what it's supposed to look like, but not like that. Yeah, not that. That's horrible. Yeah, it was not good. Um, like I said, I don't know. I don't know like what normal people's experience is with all this, but uh, fewer allergic reactions on hospital visits is my understanding. Yikes. What were some of the biggest, like, besides the allergic reactions and stuff, like you were saying that um, adromycin is a nightmare. What were, oh my God, some of like the, the big ones that stand out? Like, um, you know, we had a whole episode where Sam was talking about like how it affected her 
some of her side effects and um, how long those lasted. What, what are your thoughts on all that? So the good news and the bad news is that I'm a real baby when it comes to nausea and vomiting. Um, the, the reason that that's good news is that I was on top of my nausea medication. So anytime I felt like a little bit nauseous, I'd be like, I'm taking something. Um, and so that was, and like, you know, I'm lucky, like the Zofran, uh, or they also gave me Compazine, like it worked for me. I know that some people like develop an intolerant or uh, sort of like build up immunity to it. Um, but there I am also being like, I want to save as much Zofran as possible for whenever we get stomach bugs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like stockpiling the meds. Uh, That's me with the doxycycline that <laughs> for my rash. I'm like, ooh, these are good antibiotics. <laughs> I I still have a whole like big Tupperware box thing where I keep all of my cancer meds that you know that happen like during surgeries and stuff. And I'm like, oh, these might come in handy down the road. <laughs> yeah. Um. So nausea wasn't really a problem with me because I was like, as soon as I felt like a little queasy, I'm like, I need it. Um. So, um, my, the, the symptom, I had really bad reflux, which was not great, but the worst one was this thing called mucositis, which is like a burning tingling. Like I kept saying, like, it feels like there's bees in my mouth and like, it hurt to drink. It hurt to eat. Like there were days where like, all I could do was like chew on ice. Um, and so that that was really the worst one because then like not only do you have like this horrible feeling in your mouth but you have like all of the other symptoms associated with like dehydration and you know like not eating um so that that was that was the worst one by far and then like it even happened like it usually would sort of go away by like day five but then there was one cycle where like it came back and it was so bad that like I was I was literally just sitting in a chair crying because it hurt so bad, you know. And like I you know I remember like I called I called the like symptom support line and like the nurse calls me back and I'm like, help me please. And she's like, are you short of breath? Are you having a heart attack? Or whatever. I'm like, no, my mouth hurts. Um. So. Yeah, that was the worst one. And then, like, all of the steroids. Um, I just, they're very effective in what they do, but I hated the way they made me feel. Um, like, every night, or, at, like, the night after chemo, I was just, like, wired. Um, and then I was part of a a study through my the Cancer Institute that I went to where they, uh, Taxol can cause, like, neuropathy, um, so I was like part of a study where they were testing like the effects of acupuncture on neuropathy, um, which I guess for me worked great because I don't have any neuropathy, but they would like put a bunch of needles in me, like hook me up to electrodes and then they would just leave me for 30 minutes. And like, for whatever reason, my appointments were always scheduled the day after chemo when my brain was like still on the steroids. And so like there I was like left alone with my thoughts for 30 minutes with my brain on literal steroids. And it was awful. <laughs> That sounds like a nightmare. I, I did some um, acupuncture for like menopause symptoms right after my hysterectomy. And while I'm, I'm a huge fan of acupuncture, I think it's really, really, really helpful in so many different ways. Once they do put the needles in you and then they just like leave you, you know, I wasn't on steroids like you, but I was in like a very depressive state. And I'm like, that's not a good way to leave somebody either. You know, a whole bunch of needles in them. And they're like, just why am I still doing this? Like, what is, like, what is my life? Like, can I listen to a podcast instead? Like, like, can I listen to, you know, she's like, do you want music or no music? And I'm like, oh my God, music. Even though it was like that, like, relaxing, like, nature-y sound stuff. I was like, whatever, this is better than, like, emptiness. Um, yeah, it was like the longest 30 minutes ever. Um, but the acupuncture worked great and would definitely recommend it if you're worried about neuropathy because it worked great for me. How did you get into the study? And I, I know a lot of people, um, look into those or they can't quite figure out how to get into them or what ones are even out there. So I go to like probably the best known cancer institute in my, in New England, 
Um, and a lot of this is just like automatic. They're like, hey, you qualify for this study. Are you into it? And I'm like, yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. Jess, thank you for sharing not only your crazy chemo journey with us, but also, you know, kind of the things you've learned while mothering and starting to, you know, kind of parent your baby girl. If it's not too personal, may I ask if you're looking to have another child down the line or maybe soon? Oh, definitely not soon. Um, so according to my oncologist, we're not even allowed to start trying until three years after diagnosis. So that's April 2026. Um, and her rationale is that like minimally I have to wait until a year out from treatment um, and recurrence is highest in those first couple of years. And they really, really do not want me to uh, be pregnant with recurrence which like makes a lot of sense um and sounds like a really terrible pregnancy um but i think i think down the line yes um you know i really really want my daughter to have a sibling um i had a sibling you know i think well i have a sibling um and it was like really nice in terms of uh just like you know, I, didn't, I definitely didn't feel this way when I was growing up, but, like, in terms of, like, splitting attention and, like, not always getting your way and, like, having to accommodate another person's needs, like, I don't think those were all really um, valuable lessons. Um, I also had, like, a really terrible roommate in college who was, like, an only child that I sort of attributed, like, all of her weird qualities to the fact that she didn't grow up with a sibling, so, like, that's still in my head somehow. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and also, like, not that this is a good reason to have kids at all. And if this is your reason for having kids, you should not do this. Um, but I want an insurance policy that I'll get out of bed. Because, um, like, right now, if something happened to my daughter, I'd be like, no surgery. We're good. I will just, like, live out the rest of my days, like, yep. <laughs> traveling and, you know, or, like, realistically curled up in a ball, like, waiting to die because... I just can't, I just can't imagine going through life without her at this point. Um, so if I have a second kid, I'll have to get out of bed for one of the two kids if something happens. But that's a terrible I get that. to have kids. That's a really bad reason to have kids. I, I get that. And I agree. It's a terrible reason. But uh, we're not claiming that they're good reasons. And we're acknowledging that they're terrible reasons. So I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think I actually have a lot of complicated feelings about having a second kid and sort of raise, you know, just because there's certain things that will happen with this second kid that were not things with my daughter. Um, so the first thing is, is that, you know, obviously I have this BRCA mutation and like there's a 50% chance that I've given it to my daughter without knowing. Um you know, obviously we could go through IVF and like sort of select an embryo that didn't have the BRCA mutation, but that feels icky to me for whatever reason, because I feel like it's not fair to my daughter. Cause like, if she does have the BRCA mutation, it's like, oh, we didn't want to have to deal with, you know, we didn't want to have to deal with this as parents. We didn't, you know, we wanted to create like the best life possible for this new kid, but we didn't sort of do the same for my daughter um and you know obviously you also didn't know (laughs) yeah no we we didn't know but I I don't know like I just I don't know like maybe like obviously I think we would try and get pregnant on our own you know and if we did end up having to do IVF to have a second like that might be a conversation um but I don't know I would feel really weird about that Um, And the other thing that is just a fact, and there's no other way around it, um, is that I wouldn't be able to breastfeed a second kid. Um, And breastfeeding was, like, one of the hardest but, like, best things that I did. Um, You know, it was not easy. Like, I was under the impression that, like, kids are born and they're just, like, natural breastfeeders. And that's, like, really, really not the case. Um, you know, it's a learning curve for both parties and, you know, we certainly had our fair share of challenges, including like my daughter had what's called like a tongue tie, which is like 
when the frenulum of your tongue, which is like this part underneath, is like too thick and it like prevents them from moving their tongue in a way that like extracts milk from both the breast and the bottle. Uh, some kids have are able to do the bottle better than the breast, but like she was sort of bad with both and it was very frustrating. Um, and so we had it like revised, which means we, we like clipped it so that she could move her tongue better. Um, and then after that, like it was, you know, it was smoother sailing for sure. You know, it's especially handy, like in the middle of the night when you're like, you know, you don't really have to like think about heating anything up. You're just like here. But like also, I mean, it was a mess. Like the beginning of it, we had like such a big fruit fry fly problem in our house because there was just like breast milk everywhere and no one had the bandwidth to like clean it up. Um, and so like, you know, certain, you know, there will be certain aspects that might be easier, but like I have such a strong bond with my daughter and I feel like it's because like of all of the hours that we spent breastfeeding trying to breastfeed like you know just like together face to boob chest to chest I don't know like um <laughs> so you know I definitely will mourn that part of you know having a second child but I think in you know if, if we have to look on the positive you know like I think it'll get my husband involved you know from a much sort of younger age because like pretty much like my my poor husband was like always trying to help he's like I could just give her a bottle so you can sleep I'm like oh if I don't breast you don't have to pump anyway it's not even worth it you know pumping sucks um you know so like there's sort of just like no winning um so I don't know I but like that's certainly a part that I will be sad I don't get to have with a second child one thing that you were talking about was the like IVF aspect of this and i'm i'm just curious about this and i'm not looking for necessarily an answer <laughs> from you i just it kind of brought this up like i had a hysterectomy but i did freeze my eggs um so if i ever go through um with having kids i would need to use a surrogate and i've had the exact same thoughts like that where it feels kind of icky um you know if you're going through and you have like a list of these embryos and which ones do we want to use like in my head i'm like oh like maybe this one is attached with this one personality and this child that could occur from this and then this other embryo is maybe attached to another potential quote-unquote child and um it, it always worries me like oh my god what if i pick the wrong one <laughs> and it's you know ivf and surrogacy and all of that it's still so new relatively speaking right um i mean i know it's been going on for decades but it's still very new and i oh, well it is so fascinating to me and it's so amazing that we can do this sort of stuff now like ivf and embryos and using surrogates and all of that um i do think that it stands out to me and i know a few other people that i've talked to as still a little bit heavy quotes you know weird um it's it's very unnatural and it's something that is again like i can't go on enough about the benefits of it i'm not saying that it's a weird thing for those listening out there i'm not you know i think it's amazing and i'm potentially looking forward to doing it myself but um i will be very interested in kind of getting your thoughts as you move forward um in time jess and if you guys do do this how that you know how maybe your feelings change on it or you know maybe if you can even go into your feelings on it a little bit more because i see you smiling right now as i'm talking it's funny like my reasons so okay first of all i am kind of like the worst ever like every like person who's struggled with infertility's like worst nightmare um I literally went off birth control in the next month I was pregnant. Like, it was so unfair. Like, it should not have worked out that way. Like, you know, did not even get a, a normal period after going off birth control. It was just, like, immediately pregnant. So, like, I am, like, everybody who's ever had to deal with any struggle, like, the worst. So, I think, <laughs> I think for me, like, I'm still, like, relatively fresh off of the experience. And so, for me, the biggest, like, annoying part about IVF would be, like, all of the, like, hormone injections and whatever and like one of the things that happens like as soon as you give birth to like have you thought about birth control i'm like 
dude, I just pushed a nine pound baby out of my vagina. Like there is nothing that's going in there anytime soon. Like it's just, that's all I've been thinking about is birth control. <laughs> so anyway, I, I told my husband, I'm like, listen, I'm all done with birth control. Like I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. I've been through enough, you know, like we will find other methods that don't involve an oral contraceptive or like something being inserted. Like I'm just, I'm done. Um, and so like, I'm like, Oh God, the hormone injections. I'm like, I didn't freeze eggs. Uh, my rationale was like, because it was already so progressed and there was lymph node involvement. I'm like, I am not going to risk like potentially not being around for the child. I already have for a child that I could have. Um, right. And like, that so that wasn't on my radar so for me it's like oh the hormone injections whatever i think i think for i think for me it's harder because i've already had a child that i conceived naturally i've already breastfed you know and i sort of know what i'm missing out on um i think for people who like don't have any other choice but to go through ivf but to go through surrogacy it's a lot more natural it's like i and and it's beautiful like i want this kid so badly that like i'm willing to go through like really like shitty hormone injections really painful egg retrieval you know and you know for the men of course it's just like yeah here's the magazine have fun in the bathroom um which is unfair um it's kind of just how it works out in almost every area of life Right, but I I find like those people who have to go through like so much extra work to get a kid, it's like that that's that's to me is like it's not unnatural. It's just like so beautiful that like you're already, you know, I, I started having to make sacrifices as soon as I got pregnant. But like you're already making the sacrifices before there's even conception. It's like I want you so bad that like I was willing to like go through a bunch of stuff myself just to like be pregnant you know I was willing for somebody else to carry you for somebody else to get to know you and your movements and your personality and when you were going to be awake and asleep you know so that I could be the one to be your mom at the end of it like I so that's my view um you know not that it's unnatural but just that it's like the most selfless parental act before there's even conception of a child I like that I like that a lot. And I think you said that so much better than I did. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, well, that's how I feel. And, you know, the same is true of adoption. You know, like, I, I remember, like, driving back in the car and my husband being like, oh, do you think we should have frozen the eggs, whatever? I'm like, no. I'm like, listen, if we can't have a kid, like, well, we, you know, and we really want one, like, we'll adopt. You know, like, we'll we'll go through, like, that whole journey and, like, those kids are so are so lucky you know they're so loved they have people waiting for years and years and years for them um so that's that's truly how i feel i love that you know one of the questions that you had asked in here was like uh you know balancing parenting and cancer treatment and i think that there are it, it's they're so hard to balance in terms of treatment because with cancer treatment, you have to be incredibly selfish, and you should be. And with parenting, it's totally the opposite. At least it was for me. You know, you hear all of these, like, dumb things. It's like, you need to put your own oxygen mask on before you put anybody else's on. And it's like, you can say that, and then, like, you have this, like, very tiny human being that you're holding, and you're like, oh, my God, I would literally do anything for you, like... And it's so overwhelming. And it's also, like, from my understanding, pretty hormone-driven. And, like, I think that is the part of cancer treatment that I did wrong. Um, where I constantly put my needs second or sometimes even last. Um, because I was so overwhelmed with what I thought was the right thing to do in the moment. And then ended up making things a lot worse. So, like... Like I said, my daughter got sick a couple of times during my treatment. You know, the first time, okay, we didn't really know how this was going to pan out. Fair enough. We make a mistake. We learn from it. 
I get home from the hospital. My husband's like, okay, so we're not doing this again. If she gets sick, I'm taking care of her. You're going to quarantine. I will spike you. And then the second time comes around and, you know, she's sick and she, you know, snuggled into my chest and she's sucking her thumb and she just wants to be held and snuggled by mom. And I'm like, I can't leave her. She needs me. And then, you know, later that week, I'm in the hospital. And it's like, we have learned nothing. Like, we're dum-dums. Like, we deserve this. You know, then then it's like, okay, next time this happens, you're going to a hotel. You know, because, like, you cannot be trusted. And also, like, I would much rather you be in a hotel and, like, not have to worry about your health than you being in the hospital. And also, sounds like a better time for you, given that they wake you up every four hours in the hospital. It's like, I don't really need to rest. They're like, okay, but we really need to take your blood pressure. I'm like, it's 3 a.m. Yes, we understand. Also, for whatever reason, they always have to take labs at 5 a.m. It's like, we couldn't have picked a different time. Um, Is that shift change? (laughs) No, shift change is at 7 <laughs> the things that we now know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really think that that shift change and not not that anybody would work these shifts. You know, I know why they do it seven to seven, but I think it should be twelve to twelve. That way I'm not bothered. Um but that's but you know, it's purely selfish and like what a terrible life for somebody to lead. Um but anyway, um shift change is at seven. Um and so you know, like, it's so hard to say, you know, like, hey, you, um, you know, you need to put your needs first. You just do. If your kid gets sick, you'll get sick. It'll be terrible for everybody. And you can hear that. And literally, I had been through it. And I was just like, no, she needs me. She needs her mom, you know, whatever. Um, So I think I think that's really hard. And, you know, of course, like I say this, like, no, you know, like I'm like oh knowing now what you know knowing them I knew now like you should make this arrangement and whatever and it's just so much harder in the moment um and I feel like the same is is sort of true for like you know I keep you know I keep thinking so I have this BRCA mutation nobody knew about it there's no history of breast cancer in my family my grandmother died of ovarian cancer but like that was in the 80s like nobody thought to get tested or whatever um and you know I keep thinking it's like if I had found this out when I was like 18 or 20, like what would I have done? Like, it's so hard for me to think back to that time when I've been like, yes, the natural choice for me at this point, knowing that I have this like very increased chance of getting breast cancer would be to get the mastectomy and reconstruction right now. And I, you know, I'm like, I don't think I would have made that decision at 20 or 22 or 25 because it seems so like, yeah, you have an increased chance, but like, it's not present. It's not part of your life, you know, especially like not having anybody else gone through it. And like, you know, obviously like, you know, we're sort of in the process of getting other people in my family tested. And it's like, I like, I, you know, I don't know what people's test results are yet, but like I, if anybody tests positive, I just want to hold them and be like, please do it now. You get to go direct to implants or deep or whatever you want. There's no tissue expanders in your future. There's no chemo, like, you know, but I don't know that I would have made that decision without having somebody, without it have already been part of my life. Um, so it would be, you know, I just like picture myself holding my my 20s, you know, my cousins who are all in their 20s and just begging them like, please don't don't do this to yourself. It's awful. Um, I had those thoughts because I, I ended up testing negative for the BRCA gene, but I've got a monster family history. Like pretty much every woman in my family on both sides has had breast cancer in some way, shape or form. Um and so I, I waited for a very long time to get the BRCA test. Now mine, like I said, came back negative. And, you know, if I didn't have so many of, you know, both of my parents' mannerisms, I would legit think I was adopted. I, because everybody has, that has had cancer has also had the BRCA gene. I didn't have cancer yet and I didn't have the BRCA gene, but I remember 
that I pushed off getting tested for so long because of those exact same thoughts. I was like, okay, cool. So I go from where I'm living right now, which is a if I get cancer, into a when I get cancer. And if it comes back positive, and now it's in my head that it will happen at some point, but I just don't know when that's going to be, that could be in my 80s. I could live a full life, have kids, breastfeed, all of that. That could be in my 80s. So what I want to do, a you know, a, a prophylactic double mastectomy. In my mind, and where I went, even when I was first um, diagnosed, the answer was a hard no. And so for me, I was like, and, and of course, this has changed since, you know, if I did come back positive with the BRCA um, gene, I, I still don't know that I would have done it um, preventatively. And that was just for my own psyche. Um, but I, I think it really is so important for people to know so that you can make that, uh, that judgment call on your own. You know, there was so much about cancer that takes away your choice. You know, they always tell you that you have choices and how treatment's going to go and all of that. But really, ultimately, it comes down to, you know, do I want a good chance of not dying or do I not? And if I want a good chance of not dying, I'm going to go this route. So it's not much of a choice, but I suppose it's a choice. Um, you know, if you get tested before, you now have one big choice on your hands of how do I avoid all of this uh, going forward? And you know, we say ad nauseum, um, like a lot of people do, that hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, but I, I'm glad that I got it done. Um, I'm glad that I got tested for it. But it did take me a very long time to get there. Um, and like my parents chose not to get tested for that reason. You know, like we have since sort of figured out where it's coming from, but you know, my, my mom is like, listen, if I got the results, I wouldn't change my life. Like I wouldn't get my ovaries out. Like I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do this. What's the point, you know? And it's like, you know, fair enough, your body, like, I still feel like I would be so mad if you ended up dying from something you could have prevented. But like, at the same time, if you're not willing to do any of those things, unless there is a problem, then I, I, you know, I can't force you to do that. Um, you know, I'm hoping that by the time my daughter is old enough that she will choose to get tested. And like, you know, I think at this point too, it's sort of like impossible for her to grow up in a household where there's no mention of cancer, you know, with, you know, with, you know, like, you know, oh, this celebrity has cancer. This one has cancer. So-and-so's mom's grandma, you know, whatever has cancer type thing, but like it being very personally grounded and, you know, that's a bummer. Uh, for her, for sure, that like part of my medical team is always going to include an oncologist. Um, but, you know, like I am going to beg for her to get tested and hope like hell that they found a cure or they have, you know, treatment is like way more manageable. I mean, look, as it is, they've come a really long way. You know, like my experience with chemo was like nothing like you see in the movies. You know, I vomited zero times, which was nice. Uh, also, like, rude movies saying, like, oh, you're going to become, like, skeletal from all of the, like, uh, you know, all of the thing. I'm like, yes, I'm going to lose the baby weight. This is amazing. Like, I'm not even going to find those silver linings. <laughs> okay, no, but then they pump you full of steroids. I've gained 20 pounds, you know? It's like, this is, Damn it. This, I'm like, Really? the one thing i couldn't just have it um i mean it was probably worth it not to vomit but <laughs> i'm like you i get i become such a baby when i like i can handle being sick and being in pain pretty well i cannot handle the throwing up and you know i mean if you don't have a choice you don't have a choice but like my right. god i would have been like you just popping that zofra oh so no i'm the worst i like during pregnancy like I had a little bit of morning sickness and I would just sit next to the toilet and sweat it's like you idiot you would have felt so much better 
there was like <laughs> I couldn't drive to I couldn't well I could drive to treatments but I could never drive back because of all the medication that they gave me and there was one time that I'm like in the uber and I like feel really nauseous and I'm like oh no like can't tank your uber rating you need these people to get you to chemo <laughs> like I'm like okay once you get there you can like totally puke and like be dramatic and be on the floor and make them get you a wheelchair to get you in and like I'm like sitting there just like envisioning like where I'm gonna vomit where I when I get out of the uber and like ask them to call me you know whatever like but I was I ended up being okay well done good job <laughs> <laughs> I'm the exact same I'm just picturing sitting next to the toilet just sweating where like you could just make yourself do it and feel a lot better but I'm just gonna how it up and it's like, like a hot print a butt print on the on the bathroom floor <laughs> this wedding. Like you're so dumb. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yeah, I remember having sort of a similar conversation with one of my good girlfriends just before I knew if I needed chemo or not. Like it was uh, pre double mastectomy, and she and I both have a very dark sense of humor, you know. So we're laughing about things that you know you maybe shouldn't. And I remember her saying something to me, and she's like, "Well, I mean, shit, you're gonna lose some weight." That'll be fun. I'm like, uh, by the time it, by the lies, exactly. By the time it was all done, I was up like 60 pounds. I'm like, oh my God. It was, it was not cute. Like it took me about a year and a half to like, I, I don't want to say like, you know, lose weight and look better and all of that. Because like, frankly, none of that was a huge concern of mine at the time. Like you just went through some shit and everybody can fuck off with how you look you just you just try to feel comfortable in your own body again but it did take about like a year just to get me back to feeling normal and normal for me is still a bit heavy <laughs> um but you know i yeah i was hoping for that one silver lining side effect um and it, it definitely did not happen for me it was the literal opposite brutal super brutal <laughs> And then poor Sam, I, you, I think you lost weight, didn't you? I am pretty fortunate. I've only fluctuated about 10 pounds plus or minus each way. So, and I'm obviously naturally a pretty petite person. So I, I try not to complain too much. <laughs> but, you know, and the very worst of like the, you know, the AC, like there were only like a couple of things that like remotely sounded appealing and they were like, none of them were fruits or vegetables. It was like... Vanilla milkshake, Annie's mac and cheese in the cup, not the kind you have to boil, the kind you put in the microwave. Like, yeah, the, the boiling the water was way too much work. You know, steak fries, like, those were it. Like, those three foods, like, you know, and everyone's just like, you get down what you can get down. You don't try and diet. But then, like, as soon as chemo's over, they're like, you need to have a healthy BMI. It's like, I, what like bitch give me a minute like i will say there has been one benefit of having a very young child with cancer while going through cancer treatment and that is that she doesn't know what's going on um you know i've said this already but i think one of the the really nice things about this is that you know like especially once you go through chemo and you lose your hair you don't you don't get to keep cancer a secret from anyone when you go out in public you know it's sort of written all over your face and like no matter how much you like fill in your brows or put on false eyelashes or you know I mean I I have a wig that I truthfully have never worn because it's so hot it was so hot and itchy and like kind of a waste of money but with her I got to not have cancer because she you know she didn't know and like you know, I, I just remember, like, you know, I shaved my head. I picked her up. I actually think I wore the wig at that point to pick her up so she didn't freak out. And, you know, I get home and I'm like, listen, like, because she's nine months old. There's, like, no way she's comprehending this. I'm like, listen, like, this is what mommy looks like now. Like, I take my wig off. And, like, in this, like, divine moment, she just, like, kind of grabs my head and just, like, hugged it, you know? And it was like, and like, then she starts like patting on it. She's like, you know, trying to chew on it, like all this stuff. And it was just like, it was like, I just get to be mama, you know? And like, there was no like beauty attached to it or whatever. It was like, it doesn't matter. And that, that part I have to say was just such a gift. Um, 
So yeah, I can only imagine that's nice just because from the one person you don't want to feel or look different to and she just grabbed your little head. That's what I say about my husband. My husband just grabbed my little bald head and hugged me and loved me. So I totally get that. Um, yeah, that's a, it's wholesome. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing your story with us, Jess, and all of the different topics that we covered. Um, we greatly appreciate you sharing your story, not only with us, but with all of the listeners on the podcast. And we hope that we hear from you soon as your journey updates. And good luck on your surgery coming up in a few weeks. Please keep in touch and let us know how it goes. Thank you. Uh, open, for, open for all good things. Um, and it's been a pleasure. You know, uh, I feel like sort of my parents' generation is like always very sort of tight-lipped and it's like you struggle internally and outwards you present strength. Um, and I'm sure that there's a certain part of me that does that, but uh, if there's even one person that will feel less alone hearing my story, then it's more than worth it to make myself vulnerable for them. We really appreciate that, Jess. That's fantastic. And that's kind of what this whole thing is about. Um, and now you are a quote-unquote friend of the show and I can't wait to like... like um, Sam was saying I can't wait to just kind of keep up with you and see how this is going and have you on future episodes and update us um so yeah keep us in the loop for sure will do thank you all right listeners um thank you for joining us on this special episode of tits up uh remember you can connect with us on social media we are on instagram and facebook our Instagram handle is at titsup underscore podcast. Um, and please feel free to reach out and share your own stories and suggestions for future episodes. And let us know if you'd like to join us on an episode. So until next time, keep the spirits high and tits up. We are not medical professionals and we are not giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different. And just because we did something one way does not mean that it is necessarily the way that you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor.